Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 27 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. It is a Sunday morning after the Boston Book Festival, uh, but I think we have a solid crew of dedicated people here live this morning, so that's fun to see. This week, we are talking about what you might need in your early pages, and today we're specifically talking about setting, place, and time period with Hess Phillips and Louise Berliner. Um, Louise Berliner calls herself another lucky novel incubator grad. Her work has appeared in VQR, Porter Gulch Review, Ibbotson Review, The Mom Egg, Sacred Fire, and various chapbook collections. Her first book, Texas Guinan, Queen of the Nightclubs, written in part thanks to an NEH grant, is a biography of a roaring 20s nightclub hostess famous for saying, hello, suckas. Her middle grade novel, Houdini's Elephant, is with her agent, and she's currently working on an adult literary novel with a magical realism kick. Her work is heavily influenced by New York City in the 20th century, as well as the ghosts of her matrilineage. Um, I can't even say that this morning, matrilineage. Uh, Hess Phillips was born next door to a chicken farm. Hess, I did not know that, um, in Western PA but she now lives in Spain. So she's joining us from Spain. Uh, their novel incubator project, Lightborn, about the mysterious death of queer Elizabethan poet, uh, playwright, I mean, Christopher Marlowe was a finalist in the Irish Writers' Center Novel Fair of 2022 and is now out on submission. So we're very much hoping that that hits. It's such a beautiful book. Um, their poetry and prose have appeared in the Bridgeport Review, the Epoch, Press Easing Ebark, a literary journal for novelists, and is forthcoming in Emerge Literary Journal, the Hyacinth Review, and other publications. They have a PhD in drama from Tufts University and are obsessed with all things related to 16th and 17th century English theater and its intersections with religion, gender, sexuality, politics. All right, thank you so, so much, Louise and Hess, for joining us this morning. Um, they both They both were worried about setting their alarms which I completely understand in terms of joining, even though Hess is, is a little later than us, but I still get that. Um, I'm gonna start with Louise. Louise, for you, what does setting place and time period, why is it so important for you to think about even in your early draft uh, uh, process? Because you are a pantser and actually and Hess is a, a plotter uh, we were talking about before we got started. So uh, Louise, how do you think about it when you're first pantsing your books? Hmm, how do I think about it? Well, um, everything, you know, because I'm a pantser, I often start with, a, with an image. Um, I see my character. For my incubator book, the character was on her bicycle riding around a neighborhood that was very familiar to me from my childhood. So immediately she's in a time period and she's in a setting. And I think I found that um, a setting that, while I was thinking about this, she could only exist in that time period. In a way, if you set a book now, you have cell phones, you have a lot of technology. And, and um, maybe kids, kids bike around, but it's not as seminal an experience as it was back then in that um, when I, when this character, um, let me start again, okay. When this character was biking around, there were no distractions. She couldn't call home. 
if anything happened, she was, it's a whole other world. So I feel like setting in time, create this container for your characters that they push against. And so for me, setting, for instance, New York City has an energy and it always appears in my books. Or um, this was in suburbia, the, my incubator book. And there is an energy and a container that my character pushes off. There's things she knows, there's songs she hears. Um, that also has to do with the period that it's written in. So that's... Uh, good. I mean, you bring up a lot of good... Let's see. So the time period of that book, again, was... Was 1969. Yeah. 1969. Right. So, and did you, are you trying to sell that book? So it's got this fantastic young um, protagonist. Are you, did they decide to sell that book as a middle grade book, a YA book, or as an adult book? It's a middle grade book and it take it's historical fiction. Right. Because it's 1960s. Yeah. Exactly. So that's something to think about. There is a big difference for middle grade and YA. Um, I think basically anything before the 2000s is probably considered historical fiction, um, which seems to adults a little crazy. Um, but for the most part, young readers, um, they don't really want to read about their parents' experiences growing up. <laughs> they want to read about their time period, um, unless you make it really pivotal. So 1969 would have been a, a, a a very important year, historical year. And I would recommend if you're choosing a year like that to make it also thematically important for your book. I know Emily Ross's Half in Love with Death. She really grabbed hold of the innocence of the period. And, um, and her book is about, we'll talk to her tomorrow, but her book is about her sister um, disappears and something terrible happens to her. So it's this loss of innocence. And so the year she chose to tell that in the 1960s was very important. Um, but for the most part, a lot of uh, YA and, and middle grade readers, they want to read in the now. And that includes a lot of, um, yeah, texting, <laughs> online stuff, um, stuff that's in the now of teenagers' lives so that they see it reflected in their books, um, which can be very difficult for writers. What one thing I do see in a lot of writers working with YA and middle grade is that they automatically begin with when they were growing up. And you really want to think about, okay, why are you doing that? Why are you making that choice? And how does it actually work for the story you're trying to tell? Or is that just easy um, for you? So that can, it's, it's really something to think about in, in terms of adult uh, YA and middle grade. Um, Hess, you're working in a very different form. Um, how about you for setting and time period and place? Why is it important for you to think about from the get-go? I mean, for me, I, I'm in, I write historical fiction. so. <clears throat> Uh, it really is the beginning point of the story. Yeah. I mean, I also write about historical figures. I mean, my novel is about Christopher Marlowe, who was a real person, of course. So um, contextualizing him in the time period, it goes without saying. I mean, it has to be done. So, um, yeah, for me, time period is is everything. Setting is everything. It is it is tension. It is character. It is embodied in the novel itself. In fact, Something that Louise said was really interesting that the, the, the time period, the setting is like a container that the character pushes against. And I really like this idea. Yeah. Because I've always thought of time period and setting as this kind of this undercurrent 
of status quo of every day that runs throughout the novel and that is constantly trying to return to itself. Your characters are always pushing back against it, always pushing it in new directions because they're agents of change, but they're on this, this ground that wants to, wants to return to the everyday, to that, the, what Virginia Woolf called the cotton wool of daily life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably one of the most important things that setting and time period have to do in a, in a novel is that they have to function almost like a, a character in and of themselves mm. and driving the action in certain directions that it can't go in any other time and place. Yeah, yeah. And I, when I was selling my books, I just let my agent decide if he wanted to call it historical fiction or literary fiction or whatever in his letters. Um, because historical fiction, I didn't realize until later, can be thought of as a, a certain genre and also can be more closely tied to historical romance. Um, so have certain expectations that way. Um, so sometimes if you're confused about what genre you're working in, it's really helpful to just have a, a, someone in the business give them, uh, give you their idea of, of what genre it actually is and help you with that. And something that Hess also brought up, I oftentimes think what's wonderful with historical fiction, so both, both Louise is working with in, in, in the historical um, backdrop with middle grade, because middle grade, it's, you don't have to go that far back for to make it historical. And then Hess is working much further back, um, is to think about the front story and the back story. Um, and I think this is what setting and time period, particularly historical uh, settings and time periods can give you. You have the front story of everything that your characters are enacting, the drama that they are enacting on the page, but also the backstory of what um, you're presenting in terms of the history and what the reader might already know about that history. Um, so I think about um, Antonia Nelson's novel Bound, and I think the in, it's a two time period novel, and the past time period I believe is also in the '60s, Louise. And she the the setting is a time period in which there's a serial killer on the loose and and the serial killer is going after young women and the characters are young women at the time so she barely even needs to touch that backstory for it to to create interest and tension to the front story okay um it's it's just a fear that takes over the setting, um, even though they don't actually have interactions, I believe, with the serial killer. But that tension um, can can add um, so much interest to the text. So always thinking about the front story and the back story in terms of setting, place, and time period can be really, really helpful because they can really um, just give so much uh, more interest to your book. Uh, Louise, as you kept working on your book with 1969, um, how did you, how did you, how do you deal with establishing the time period? Um, did you ever feel that you needed to change the time period? How did you move forward um, after you had the first image of her riding her bike? Well, um, the, the time period, um, uh, it was, it was like, um, it was the food, it was the songs. Vietnam became a little bit of a, uh, it came, it was a little bit of a plot motivator, but it was also, in the 60s, I realized, my brother said something to me, 
in the 60s, Vietnam was everywhere. It was in and around us like a little pressure, but it wasn't for kids. It wasn't a day-to-day -day thing, but for everybody else, the older brother with the threat of a draft yeah. was there. So there are little pressures that it creates. At the same time, when you were talking, I was thinking about this, the time period and the setting matter, but you could take all these situations and put them anywhere. It's, it's as if the time period and the setting continue to um, create those characters and, and shape the way they respond. And yet a modern character, modern, yeah. in the 21st century can com completely relate because they're kids and they're having adventures and there are, and there are things. And, and, and the, the strange thing, not the strange thing, but the one characterization of my book, one part of my book is that um, they're also dealing with the far back past. Mm -hmm. so they're in the 60s, but they're dealing with a, a house and a story that happened before them. Right. So you have multiple yeah. times there. Not that they go back in time, but they feel the influence of that. And yet it can be very modern. So, yeah. so there's something about that, something about creating historically accurate by um, little things and yet having it be a, a, a tale everybody can relate to now. Yeah, so that and the idea of relatability is um, has gotten snowed up in all sorts of things um, because um, people, um, you know, in terms of race and identity and those sorts of things. And when I think about relatability, I, I remember I was working with a young uh, Filipino student um, at Brandeis University, and I went around the room and I asked them what character in literature do you feel like you've related to most? Mm. Um, and she was this teeny little woman. Um, and she said she related to Frankenstein the most, the monster. Um, and I loved that because what that what was relatable was his isolation, his feeling of difference, um, and, and his struggle to be loved. Um, and so these are basic human emotions in terms of relatability that you are going for in your characters. It has nothing to do with Frankenstein being dead and brought back to life because she can't relate to that, but who cares, right? It has nothing to do with that he's a, he's a man. It has nothing to do that that story took, uh, took place in an English speaking culture. Um, it has nothing to do that, th those sorts of things, even though we want those details details in the character just so that we can see the character so that the character is fleshed out. But in terms of relatability, you're going back to much deeper human truths of love, um, uh, being, being um, of, of love, being belonging, um, of feeling that you are count in life. Um, those are those deeper emotions are, are much greater for us. And you can put that in any time period. But then it's also very important. I usually with my students, I, I always like, well, why did you choose this time period? And if they look at me blankly, if they, they just chose it randomly, I'm like, mm -hmm, okay, do a little bit more thinking so that that choice actually matters instead of it just something that you just came up with, you know, and, and that might logistically be working for you. Um, 
Hess, have you thought about that or faced that or like, cause you're working with characters that are, are, you know, much further back. Have you ever had reactions in terms of this relatability problem? Because sometimes people misconstrue that in terms of like, oh, well, we need to have a woman in the book or we need to have this in the book in order for readers to relate. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely come up against that. Um, yeah. I think in my case, because I'm, I'm largely writing about queer characters, queer yeah. men in particular, but um, there's, a, there's something of the modern that is sort of threaded through the story um, just because of people have a certain sexual identity in, in the story, which is a part of the story and a part of the past as well as it is today. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely come up against that um, to some extent, but I've also gotten pushed in the other direction, which is, oh, this is too modern. You're, you're dealing with things that, um, are, uh, that are contemporary and you're, you're trying to shove them into a historical setting. Which of That's course, interesting. I, yes. I mean, what, what example, what were they pushing back on specifically? Um, well, in particular, the fact that I have characters in this novel who are queer. <laughs> um, really? Or, yes. That's not uh, a modern condition. Well, and that's the thing is that people think of that as a, a modern type of identity, one that didn't exist functionally in the time period that I'm writing about, which is the 16th century. Right. And, you know, to some extent, it they didn't have the same language to talk about it as we would talk about it today. But of course, queer people existed. We have mountains of evidence that they existed. Christopher Marlowe wrote plays about queer people. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's very obvious that they were there. The, the thing that you then have to figure out is how to represent what people assume is a very modern identity in a historical context. Um, in my case, a lot of that just comes from trying to collect these stories. They are out there. They're sometimes hard to find. Mm -hmm. um, you know, queer, I think queer people and cis women throughout history have something very in common in that history has eradicated us to yeah. a large extent. And um, we have to go back and sort of unearth these stories and so that's been a huge part of the process of, of writing Lightborn was just figuring out ways to, to talk about a 16th century queer identity mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it, it becomes caught up in all of these questions of how people saw themselves, um, you know, how people identified themselves, what characterized identity in that time period versus today. And of course it was very different. So um, you have to make it work within that context, but you also have to make it um, relatable to a modern audience and to a, a modern way of identifying oneself. So yeah. there's a very delicate balancing act that you have to play. <laughs> yeah, that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and I've always considered publishers are, publishers are basically 50 to 100 years behind the times in terms of... <laughs> Is that possible 100 years uh, before books were even printed, even before that? Um, behind the times in terms of these 
um, issues. Um, and they are they're highly, very, very conservative in terms of what they're putting out in the world. And they will oftentimes tell you, well, we don't have a readership for that, which does which is actually completely untrue. It's just that they don't know that readership. It's not something that they're used to. So that's something you also might have to push against. So, and Louise, that brings up something interesting because, so Hess's characters are so enmeshed in their time period, but you brought up that you had a young character who was just basically existing and didn't completely understand that she existed in a particular time period. So you had to use, I guess, adults mostly to give the time period for your book, or how did you feel that you know? No, well, what I mean, it, what I mean is um, that there's a moment where um, Vietnam comes up in a dinner conversation and yeah. she suddenly realizes that it's been around her everywhere in the news all along. But suddenly it's like, wow, but this is affecting my family, my life. And you know, and you can make parallels to any of the wars going on um, or not, since we're not really involved with them right now. But, but you know, that she, the time, the time is kind of like in her, in her bones, just the way she relates in the world. And so there's a structure that holds. I think the world, you could say, take sci-fi, okay? There's a lot of world building there, but the characters are held by that and they are who they are because of that world. Yeah. And we get to see it, but we also get to see it through how they are in it. So the way my character moves through her world, you can feel as an adult, obviously, looking at some more innocent time. But um, as a kid, you can see a kid who's having issues with friends, you know, who's having adventures and discovering things and interacting with her family and then her own thoughts about that. So there's, a, there's all that going on too. And that's, I love that, that you, that the time period, the world that she exists in, of course, is so enmeshed in who she is that um, it's in her bones. So the, the trick is, how as a writer, do you get inside the bones of the character? And Louise, I always remember when we were working together that you, you always said, well, I am an 11 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you were able to, I still am an 11 year old girl. And that's how you were okay. able to write that voice so well. And because in part, if you get to know Louise, she, she does have that kind of spirit and spunk to her. Um, Hess, how about that? Because did you have to, um, you're also working with queer um, male characters. And the problem here too is because it research, if you're having to do a lot of research in terms of your time period, that might begin to overwhelm the text and overwhelm the feeling of, of really getting inside those characters. So, so Hess, I know you, I know you researched the crap out of that. Um, you've lived, you basically lived in that time period. How did you handle the research and how did you keep the, 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 um, the balance with the character working for you? Um, well, I mean, especially in the early drafts, you tend to go overboard on the research, you know, yeah. um, you want to get everything in there. You want to get everything right. No anachronisms allowed. And it's, it's just not uh, sustainable. You know, I mean, if you have a story to tell at some point, the story has to take precedence. So um, as this novel has gone through about two bazillion drafts at this point, um, eventually things start to fall away and you find what's really important in that process 
Um, and I find that that's, it's sort of those everyday things that your characters are having to push against, you know? Um, the things that are, that are sustaining the story in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just about getting in all the little details about what people are eating at supper and what kinds of utensils they're using and how they, uh, you know, what kind of napkin they use because even napkins were different back then. You know, so it's not just about that. It's about choosing which of those details matter in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Which of those details are creating tension which are revealing character, um, you know, which are the ones that um, make the most make the most sense in order to drive that story forward. I mean, every every step you take on the page has to be a step in in a certain direction. And I think all those details, all of that research, it has to add up to that. So, you know, I mean, I, I started out looking at, you know, particularly because I'm researching queer men, I was looking at criminal records. I was looking at poetry of the period. There was actually quite a lot of homoerotic poetry being produced, many, yeah. much of it very Christian in theme. Hmm. Um, look at Robert Barnes if you want to see some of that. Um, Christopher Marlowe's own work, of course, is extremely queer. Even when he's writing about um, uh, heterosexual relationships, he somehow manages to queer the heck out of it. <laughs> Uh, you know, Shakespeare too. Shakespeare, of course, wrote a lot of um, mm -hmm. very queer leaning poetry as well. So I think just out of all of that, this huge mountain of stuff, you have to start drilling down. And that's yeah. been the process of revision in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so um, making sure, so, so finding those points where it's, where the use of setting, the use of history is dynamic, where it works for the story. Um, I also recommend to people, Ben Percy's book, uh, Thrill Me, because he has a book on setting and it's, I think the title of, of, he has, the book is Thrill Me, the, the chapter is, is on setting and he has, a, it's called like invigorating setting or something or enlivening setting, because you can just, attempt to describe setting in a very static way. And what he does is making sure that he has something moving through the setting, characters, wind, an owl, um, that's actually keeps the setting alive and moving. Um, and hopefully even more so though, as Hess is talking about why is it important to the book, instead of just being, oh, I like this, it's interesting to me, that's not gonna work for your book. Um, and Louise, did you, did you ever face that too, that the setting or your need to refer to the setting um, became too difficult or started to overwhelm your characters? Like you had that, that discussion when, when with the family is talking about the older brothers um, facing, um, um, having to go to Vietnam. Um, did it, did, or were you able to just kind of leave off? Did you feel any pressure to kind of bring the setting in more or use it less? Well, you know, it's funny when I'm listening, I'm thinking setting isn't only the time period or New York or the suburbs. For me, also, there's the house that they um, yes, that they go into and and the house is a setting. But I think, you know, you could use anything as a setting. You know, we've had books that take place in a room, but um, I think it's really it, it helps really ground the reader to have um, these touch, these touchstones. And so for me, um, with the Vietnam, it's part of some, it's like a song that moves through part 
but I don't have to keep digging it up. It's yeah. like, you know, you put that little um, note in the air and it, and it, and it vibrates and well, then there's other notes. So it makes this, you know, <laughs> let's not take it too far, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Symphony and of a setting. <laughs> yeah. And Judith is also saying in the chat, I mean, of course, again, the way you're getting at setting, it can be in terms of time period or place is when you're getting in the bones of the characters, it's also how they talk, it's what they think about, it's how they walk. And then what Louise is talking about in terms of um, the house, I always love, I'm a, a huge fan of Gothic fiction in which the house is in some way a blueprint of the main character's mental state. And this is why in Fall of the House of Usher, um, because the, the owner of the house is, is mad, um, there's a crack in the side of the house. Now that might be a little too on the nose today to use something like that today, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of fun. All the ghosts that are behind the doors are basically uh, repressed um, memories and, and, I, and issues of the self that the character has. And then landscape. Um, and I use a lot of, of landscape to either act against my character or to be a blueprint of my character's mind. So lots of things to think about that way. All right, yes, Hess. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I love Gothic fiction too. Anything set in a house. Um, yes. And I, I, I love this idea that the landscape, the house, the setting itself is part of the unstable ground situation. Yes. I mean, in, in the fall of the House of Usher, it, it, it can't be that, that that is like the perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, I think that's why that that story took has taken on such a much larger place in our psyche of, of, of literature um, because of the house, because it haunts us and stays with us. And so just that concrete um, persona basically on the page is really, really useful. And if so, if you're not using setting in that way, um, you could really lose out on something for the reader to really grab hold of and to always, always remember. Okay, folks, going off of Gothic fiction, uh, tomorrow is Halloween. Um, so we'll be talking about mystery and clarity with writers Emily Ross and Jessica Bird. Um, if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast on Substack and other podcast platforms. And you can find our full schedule at 7 a.m. Novelist.substack.com. It is early Sunday morning. I am not speaking as fluently as I usually do, but I had Hess and Louise here this morning to help me out. Thank you so much, the both of you. And I hope everyone gets to their desks and has an amazing writing day today. And thank you all for joining us. Have a good day. Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind and you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there is enough